again, and welcome to another episode of The Goat Farm. With you, as always, is Michael Ducey, MFDII on Twitter, and my co-host, Ross Clanton. Say hello, Ross. Hello, and I'm uh, Ross Clanton at Twitter, on Twitter. Uh, so, Ross, uh, what have you been up to this week? Uh, well, you know, working at Target, it's towards the end of our year, and we're we're working on planning for the upcoming year, so we're pretty deep into planning activities, trying to orient some some big DevOps type events, both internally at Target that we're working through some planning on, and just starting to look at what events we're going to participate in externally this coming year as well. So um, that's been a big focus here since we've been back from vacation. How about you? Uh, well, we're, we've been doing a lot of planning at Chef as well, and we had an all-hands meeting last week where we had the entire company in Seattle, and so a lot of planning around uh, what we do in 2015. Got to see the new office, which is actually very, very nice uh, if you're ever in Seattle. And, you know, this is for anyone in the community. If you're ever in Seattle and uh, need a place to work, feel free to stop by the Chef office and uh, grab, a, grab a booth and grab a, maybe a beer if you want to as well and, and enjoy the nice office. So that must mean they got whatever the big underground drilling machine unstuck or something. No, uh, actually, from our office, you can actually see that the uh, uh, their work to remove the underground drilling machine is actually going on, like right near our office. Um, wow! So it's, <laughs> it's actually a fairly interesting view from time to time. <laughs> so I read on O'Reilly's radar um, site. I read an article called The DevOps Identity Crisis. Uh, did you happen to see this at all, Ross? Yeah, I did. I had a chance to read it this morning. Uh, so Baron Schwartz wrote an article that says basically that DevOps needs a manifesto, uh, but it's probably not going to ever get one. And basically his premise is is that DevOps is it doesn't have any messaging and positioning uh, like you typically would with a normal product. Uh, there's nothing unique about it because it's actually bringing in ideas from other uh, from other uh, industries, I guess you could say, and kind of cribbing off of them. And then there's a bunch of echo chambers. What are, what are your thoughts on that, Ross, as you read that article or that blog post? It's a topic I'm probably a bit torn on, I think. And, and I've been in many conversations both within my company as well as um, – um, with folks in the external community around whether we should have definitions around DevOps or enterprise DevOps. And my, my general sense is, no, we shouldn't, because as you tend to define things, you start to um, be inclusive and exclusive in terms of, of who's in and who's out and what fits and what doesn't. I do feel like there's some aligning of ideas and concepts and and things of that such that that needs to continuously happen in that space but i feel like that's that's kind of the role of the community and the community based on their engagement and the topics that they're most passionate about and and how they kind of drive the ideas forward tend to kind of set the path of of the movement If, if you believe in the in the the high level definition of of devops really being a cultural movement i don't know to to what degree you can actually put a definition around a movement. A movement, in my mind, is something that, that will change sure. over time. Yeah, and, and that's... Uh, so I, of course, wrote a impassioned response that you can read on goatcan.com. And kind of in the response of, you know, 
it's not a product, right? So we don't necessarily need product definition and and marketing and messaging like you typically would for a product. And and that's the thing is like, what, like as to your point of, you know, there's a complaint about DevOps trying to be inclusive, but it turns out to be exclusive because there's this echo chamber. But if we went and defined it more, it, it could be even more exclusive than it is right now, right? Or at least as yeah. some people perceive it to be. Yeah. Now, what what I will say, though, um, and we'll introduce our guests here in a minute, and, and they'll, they may even have some, some thoughts on this topic as well. But what I will say is, I know, you know, working in a large enterprise and trying to get you know, a broad set of stakeholders aligned around the the ideas of, you know, around DevOps and where we want to go does require some aspect of defining. And, and you often see factions within an organization that have very different views of what it is. And, and I do see that. Uh, and that does often drive towards some activities around trying to conceptually align people on what it's all about, or at least align people on principally what it's all about. But I wouldn't go as far as to say that that becomes like a industry de facto, you know, definition of, of what DevOps is. Right. And actually, actually, one of our guests has a I love a definition that that he he gave that I'll probably ask him a question about when we get into our uh, into our interviewing here shortly. Yeah, and that was kind of my point: is is the manifesto belongs to the organization because each organization is unique and it has, you know, those those features or those components or its own DNA. Right. So trying to have this outside organization like we did with ITIL go in and say, this is the way you must do things. And of course, the ITIL people are, are fond of saying if it if it hurts, it's not ITIL because, you know, it's been implemented so poorly and that's why it hurts. But, you know, I, I see very little ITIL implementations that don't hurt. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those things of that's what it's become uh, for for better or for worse. And yeah. I, I don't want to see the same thing happen with with DevOps. And that's why I think it's important to leave the definition and the manifesto up to the individual organizations and give them the guide rails to work in of, you know, these are the fundamental things you should be looking at, right? Absolutely. So you mentioned we have some guests. Why don't we get into uh, talking to our guests? Yeah. And, you know, I'll go ahead and let me do intro today since... Um... I work for Target, and our guest uh, is Target today. Um, so we've asked uh, Dan Cundiff and, and Jason Walker to, to join us today. Both of them are key thought leaders, probably two of our biggest thought leaders around uh, DevOps and driving some of the transformative change associated with that um, within our enterprise. Um, super excited to have these guys on today. They, I know personally they have essentially mentored me and, and um, influenced my views significantly over time. Uh, I'm excited to have them on to share some of their views with uh, the, re the rest of our audience. So with that, um, I don't know, Dan uh, and Jason, maybe if you guys just each want to take uh, a minute or so, given a little bit about your background and an overview of uh, how you got introduced to the concepts of DevOps. Uh, yeah, um, so I'm Dan Cundiff. I work at Target. I'm on a team that runs api.target.com, uh, and it's not just one API, it's a whole bunch of APIs. So when you think about you know, 50 or so web applications for us, uh, DevOps becomes really essential because things like continuous integration, using Chef, uh, things like OpenStack, Jenkins, 
uh, GitHub Enterprise, all these tools and, and interactivity with our infrastructure partners and ops people becomes really important to be able to make something like API.target.com successful. Um, so yeah, it, right. So I had to familiarize myself with it and pioneered a whole bunch of things and worked with people like Jason to make, uh, make it happen at Target. And I'd even go as far, uh, you know, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, through the, the podcast, but I mean, Dan was talking about these DevOps concepts three or four years ago, probably. I think he, even at a point where, at a point in time when he reported to me long before Target was going down this path. So there was some vision there and you saw a path coming and you went after it. So just want to give some credit there that Dan had a pretty key role in getting this movement, I think, started even way back from the beginning. Thanks. And, uh, I'm I'm Jason Walker, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, at Target, and uh, I work in our infrastructure services space. The a primary focus around automation in general, really keying in on the infrastructure side, uh, then also tying in performance engineering concepts to be able to not just build things through infrastructure as code, but be able to extend those same type of principles into how we do monitoring and how we lifecycle, uh, and how we even get to a point where we can do infrastructure as code for the things that are being used to provide that infrastructure as code service. So trying to do a, a full life cycle on, on, uh, on all of the different um, IT components to, to allow us to do things like CI, CD, all the way through the stack. Cool. Awesome. Jason or Dan, if you, uh, we just talked about the whole idea of the DevOps needing a manifesto. What are your thoughts on that? If you have thoughts on that and, and, and want to share those thoughts. Sure. Um, so this is Jason. Um, you know, I, I I haven't read all the way through the article. Um, I do know of the article. I, I I've glanced that you know, kind of gleaned through it a little bit. And when I when I for myself, when I kind of take a retrospect against some of the philosophies and the the cultural aspects of of DevOps, when we talk about doing DevOps, I just I, I look at the twenty years roughly of 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 work in IT. You know that that I've been involved in, and when I do reflect back and see. Things that you know we did way back when, where now we have this this DevOps name to those things that we did, where it was just about kind of common sense and consideration, and and making it to where people knew what you were doing, you knew what they were doing, and you were in a in a in a, in a safer place to be empowered and move forward. It, it's it was kind of a being in a position where you don't really need to be told some sort of set of rules to get stuff to get stuff done in an efficient and effective manner. And so to say that. You know, is there a need for a DevOps manifesto or, or some way of labeling it? It feels like it's really constricting to what it is that the people that are in, that are part of a community or part of an organization need to work together to just to, to, to move forward, to understand what the goals are, um, you know, really amplify collaboration and, and um, look at things from an empathetic point of view. So I don't, it's kind of just, from my perspective, I don't, I don't see a manifesto as being a need at all. Yeah, and I think what, what a lot of people's problems are with it is that when you say it like that, it becomes squishy, right? Okay. And and I think for many in our industry, they don't want something that's squishy, right? And they also have kind of maybe this air about themselves of like, well, we've been doing IT for 20 years, right? And like, <laughs> how dare you tell us that we need to get more squishy and nice and empathetic and everything else like that, right? So it's it's kind of like, the lack of a definition also creates this problem where people think that they don't need to listen to it because it has no definition, right? Well, I, you know, and when it comes down to folks like that, it's, you know, we could probably compare our, our, 
our respective and collective 40 years of IT then. Right. Say, exactly. from, from, from day one, it was. <laughs> I mean, when it comes, when it boils down to it, if you want a manifesto for DevOps, look back to kindergarten. Kindergarten, what is your thought there? Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> share, share, be respectful, be considerate, and make sure you're not being a, honestly being a jerk to people. I mean, it really boils down to if you're not a jerk to somebody, they're gonna they're gonna re, they're gonna treat you back with that same type of respect. Or when you have to do things like um, try something new, and it might be a little bit painful, or you actually need to make a change to a process, but people understand why you're going through that effort, then it's just like, well, we're just doing the DevOps thing because everyone's aware of what it is that's going on. I mean, just look back to what it was when you know you didn't have those, the 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 stress of everything in life and and everyone is against you. No, it's not like that. It's we all have a common goal if we're working in the same community or organization or group or you know whatever whatever moniker you want to lab, label it with. So uh, essentially, all I really need to know about DevOps I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> Sounds like a great presentation. Amen. Yeah. That. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm going to expect you to submit that to DevOps Days Minneapolis or an upcoming DevOps Day. That'll be a good ignite. All right, should we? Um, I'm going to shift and go ahead and ask a question here uh, to uh, Dan and Jason. I'll let, let you guys figure out who wants to take this one. But So Target has been pretty active in the last year or so in um, sharing its DevOps journey, especially in the last six months or so. Can you share a bit on the journey and the state of DevOps at Target from, from your perspective? Yeah, I can take a stab at that first. All right. Um, it kind of does dovetails back to my, you know, intro, um, and maybe I can just elaborate on it a little bit more. Right, we're building all these APIs, and for us, that, whenever we knew we needed to do that, that's when our journey began. And I have to confess, at the time, I didn't, it was called DevOps, but sort of independently, you know, arrived at, well, hey, this is very DevOps-like, and there's people struggling with this too, let's sort of learn together. So as we started to look at our work and where it needed to go, it was a lot of the culture aspects of it, you know, like Jason was just talking about getting better at that, you know, not only between, you know, developers, uh, but, you know, our ops people and our infrastructure partners. And to be honest, the, the, I think in the past, it, it, it definitely had an opportunity to be better and we knew we needed to make it better. Um, so that was important for us. And then the other half of it, and I know people don't like to talk about tools, but really making a lot of this possible involves tooling. Um, so for us, it was, it's like, okay, we got to have, we got to at least start doing automated tests, for example, so that we can start to do continuous integration. Okay, now we've got this continuous integration problem that we're going to use. Well, let's just try out Jenkins. Hey, let's use a better version control system. So we use GitHub Enterprise. Uh, hey, we want to be able to spin up our environments on demand, you know, have Chef deploy them, run all the tests, and tear them down because we don't want to, like, have to, love our environments, they don't love us back, so tear them down. Well, that means we need an API term for structure, so let's have OpenStack. And so it was all about, hey, over time, let's just keep layering on, make these things better. Uh, and then eventually things like chat ops started to come up. It's like, hey, let's really make this better with our infrastructure partners. So we started out kind of doing it by ourselves. Um, had some partners there. Um, we have our support people there. But then even most recently is literally this week, you know, we've merged even with a broader hip chat because, you know, you can only have one hip chat. That's sort of a bummer. But we're in one hip chat now with, like, people like Jason and his team and stuff like that that we work with day to day. So, I mean, literally just this week, I saw 
all the OpenStack dudes who are working their tail off making that awesome, and our team who strongly depends on it, open up a room and start talking about, hey, I'm a dev guy, here's the problems I'm seeing, and then them coming in and saying, cool, we didn't know about that, let's, let's make that better. So, right, I mean, coming full circle, and we can, if you want to dive down in any of those topics, we, we can dive into it more, but, you know, come full circle, like that journey, uh, it took time. We just proved it. We just did what was practical and natural. If it worked, then we kept doing it. If it didn't work, we stopped doing it. Uh, but then that, rather than keep it to ourselves, we tried to show people like, hey, you know, this is uh, valuable. It's working for us. You should consider it too. And, you know, sure enough, as long as they sort of got the spirit of what we were saying, they wanted to pursue it too. So that's kind of our journey. Uh, and that's what it's been and where it's still going, actually. Dan, as I was listening to you, I really had a question that I thought you know, I'd pose uh, to either you or Jason, um, and it's around the tooling. You talked about the tooling being a challenge that you know maybe people don't often always want to talk about that. From what I've seen, you know, large enterprise context pivoting towards more modern tooling that supports some of these changes in culture and approach can be a very difficult journey and a difficult thing to do and get alignment in within an organization. Would love your thoughts on uh, or wisdom on, on uh, for our audience on how to think about that, how to go through that, any learnings or observations you guys have had as you've been driving that type of a journey here at Target. Yeah, that's a good question. So large organizations are funny about this type of thing. And I, here's what I think, too. I, I bet some of your listeners, as I'm describing this, are going to totally be nodding their head about this. So... In large organizations, there's, of course, the silo problem. Problem. Some of those silos are responsible for some of those existing tools. Uh, and, when it's their, and when it's their day job you know, to make that tool successful or that existing process work really well, they get really em- <clears throat> emotionally tied to it. So anytime you try to say, hey, there's this new thing, can we consider it? It becomes a difficult conversation because people are so devoted to that silo, that tool they support or something else. But just like with any change like that, it's about... I have for first being empowered as an individual to, to pursue it. And that's something that was key uh, for us uh, making a campaign for it, demoing it, showing it and the change resistors eventually do come around. But yeah, it's a, it's a long journey to say, Hey, your existing thing you do has been great up to this point. Thanks for that. Um, here's a new thing. I need your support. Cause you know, you're kind of influential as an existing process owner to, to understand that this is probably better for us. It's just about taking time to show it, to demo it, to get them on your side, convince others. It's just like selling anything in a large organization. Uh, And you just sort of rinse and repeat that with a similar formula for each thing you want to change or introduce. So, yeah, I mean, it's sort of a long answer, but and it's hard to describe, actually, but that's sort of my take on it. How do you stay motivated um, as you're dealing through change resistors? Uh, for me, it's, uh, I mean, it, it comes back to maybe some sort of primal things, uh, why you're maybe motivated to wake up and come to work every day. I mean, for each person, it's different, but I'll confess for mine, it's just sort of competitive stuff where it's like, ah, I know this is the right thing. I, I know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm right. I've validated it with other people who I consider are experts. I just like to be competitive to to see it actually go through. And whenever I see wins, whenever I see other people benefit from it, then that's even a stronger motivator too, right? Mm-hmm. Then it becomes like organizationally important. And if you know it's the right thing and people are encouraging you to do it and it's sort of tied back to your 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 benefits and stuff like that, then that's even better, right? Your review score, any serious pursuit of doing anything, it has to be tied back to your review score. So I don't know. It's all kind of a combination of 
primal things like that, organizational incentive stuff, and then just doing the right thing, knowing it's the right thing, and, and sort of being a person who thinks that's important. Well, and then how do you do that, go through change resistors without being a jerk? And, and Jason might have some thoughts on this based upon your previous response. <laughs> but, like, I, I, I think we have this tendency, at least, and I, I know I do, when, like, somebody's resisting you, 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 you tend to start taking it personal. You tend to, like, make a, a strained relationship with that person when you're working and all of these other things that could happen. So what are your guys' thoughts on, like, staying staying nice while res- resisting change? So for me, you know, when it, when it comes down to some of the emotional aspects of, of dealing with just change in general, so if it's cultural change, you know, um, there's there's going to be there's going to be plenty of pain points already with that and when you're when you're somebody that's introducing that change if you're able to to lean back on on actual data and let 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 data drive conversation about why some some different way um, is is something to to at least consider and even if we're not making a specific decision based upon a set of data it's certainly something to be able to say if i do it in this other way here's what i'm able to accomplish Here's what I'm able to do to make sure I can do things like, in the corporate context, still adhere to compliance needs, still adhere to governance. But what I'm doing is, instead of it being, I'm just trying to you know, crowbar something new into your existing process, I'm challenging that old process as it is. And it's not about you and I. It's about putting ourselves in a position where we can actually look at better ways to do things across the board to where we both, to Dan's point about you know review scores, well, we're both getting those those review scores because we both went along this journey and, and making it to where it's about the, the the problem or the data as opposed to it being you know it's it's you against me Ducey. you know it's it's right there's there's some issue that there and the thing that I'm trying to fix is the issue and and there's going to be passion in the conversation and it should be there because those passionate people whether they're on one side of the argument or the other are the ones that are going to be able to help to to really advocate on whatever the final decision is. Um, based upon the data, and, it, and it's going to make it even more real and tangible for them to be able to go forth on whatever that final decision is. Hey, Ducey, I know you—you um, you being the one guy on on, on, the sh- on the show today that kind of represents a tool vendor. You're probably out interacting with uh, other customers and stuff all the time, so I'm sure you see these challenges manifest frequently. Any other, like, do you have any other thoughts or observations on it too? Well, I, I think. We, um, you know, as a tool vendor, our focus is so much on the fact that if you want to actually change, you have to change your behavior. And if you want to do these kind of new things, um, you kind of have to just draw out how, like, change is not possible without changing, you know, the car you're driving, right? I mean, like... If you want to be a, a Formula One race car driver, you don't go out and buy a Yugo, right? And then start <laughs> running the Yugo uh, 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 on the track and start getting practice time, right? I mean, like, you're never going to build up the ability that you want to move fast and be able to drive a car very fast by taking a Yugo around the test track, right? Yeah. So you have to get the you have to get the high performing you know, tool or product or or whatever it might be to actually enable that. The other kind of analogy that I give, uh, so I do a lot of woodworking as as a hobby, and 
as I, I my table saw was in a position to where I couldn't get to my table saw, so I had to rip a piece of wood, and I had to rip a piece of wood with a handsaw. And man, that is the, the most work that I've done in a long time. I mean, that one board that I had to rip uh, in half was was so much work. Whereas if I want to be in a high performing woodworking environment, I need a table saw and a table saw allows me to rip that piece of wood in, you know, 15 seconds with minimal effort. And so you have to you have to really kind of map of like, what are your goals of the organization? And we begin to kind of draw out of our users and our community and our, our uh, eventually customers uh, what their goals are. And if that's your goal, we have to show you that you can't get to that goal by kind of doing the things that you've been doing. You, you do have to change. And, and part of that change is, you know, the tool set. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I think good, good discussion so far with everyone on this. J- Jason, um, any other thoughts you want to just layer in before we move on to any to other questions just on the state of DevOps at Target and, and uh, the journey that we've had there? Yeah, I will, I will say that the, the successes that we've been able to demonstrate between Dan and the enterprise services folks with an infrastructure automation um, and providing, there are literally hundreds of, of um, cookbooks that we're able to do different things like install, you know, software packages or whatever the case may be. Um, get it to where we're able to deliver a specific set of services re- repeatedly with consistency and with quality and make modifications to those things based upon the input from folks in the business side and the development side and support, what have you. There's so much more momentum that's gaining around other areas that see um, how fast you can actually be when you start to break down the friction points. And, and that's that's an aspect I think of DevOps that really comes into play, even at the enterprise, to where, you know, it isn't necessarily about jumping in and making it to where you're doing everything is infrastructure as code or everything is continuous integration and delivery, but you get it to a point where you you start to break down and have an understanding and, and, a, and a more collaboration around the end-to-end goal and the systems thinking and that empathetic view to where people can get into that experiential learning. It, it really just goes a long way and people start to buy they, people start to see it when they see it through those demos that we've been talking about um, it becomes real and they want that they want more of that and they they start to really buy into the let me just start small let me get that one pebble in my bucket before I try to fill it up completely because I don't know if I'm going to be able to carry it but I know I can take this one thing with me all the time and then I'll add a second pebble and then and then continue to mature what that practice practice looks like it, it's growing leaps and bounds, in my opinion, at, at, at Target. So, Dan, uh, I wanted to draw out something a little bit more about uh, something that you had mentioned in one of your responses earlier. Um, you had mentioned kind of reviews and reward structure, and, and Jason kind of touched on this a point to a point as well when we were talking about you know getting somebody to change. What has Target done, or, or what are your and, and maybe if if Target hasn't done anything, what are your kind of views and thoughts about? setting up the reward structure to encourage change? I don't think Target has it figured out, and I suspect that we're not alone. I think most probably large organizations didn't think, oh, there's this DevOps thing coming. Let's make sure that we set up all the the reward structure to incentivize people doing these things. I think it, probably it, it comes from the other way, where you've got managers that you report to who get it. Right, they understand what DevOps is, or they, they've discovered it, and they understand the value of it. 
And what happens is they they empower people on their team to say, yeah, you're, you're selling the DevOps saying, I believe in it too. Um, go do it. It's going to bode well for the whole team. It's going to bode well for me as the manager. And as long as people are doing it on my team, I'm going to incentivize it and reward it. And what happens is, along with the empowerment, along with the success and the team dominating and doing quite well, you know, outsiders look in and they're saying, huh, I'm a manager on a different team. I see the the culture inside the team being this way. I'm going to do that for my team too. And it starts, sort of starts to spread. And I can definitely see this now across, you know, certain leaders at Target who are, uh, you know, being basically this contagious uh, learning, observing, they're seeing their their peers, you know, re- incentivize these things. And then at some point, my guess is, and I, I guess I don't have a, any sort of proof to this theory, but that it, it becomes sort of institutionalized, the people who sort of define incentives and actually are, you know, sort of putting bullets behind these things, uh, start to weave those, the DevOps concepts into, you know, reward structures and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it starts with individuals. It starts with smart managers who get it, uh, reward the individuals, empower them, and then results are obviously achieved. And then it spreads. Yeah, that, and that makes sense because the manager is the one in position, well, who's doing the review, right? So mm-hmm. he can make sure that, I guess, or he or she can make sure that the system is, I, I don't mean this the wrong way, but the system is gamed, or at least the rules are set up mm-hmm. so that you'll get a positive review if you, you behave this way and he or she has enough power to actually achieve that. Yeah, and honestly, I think it's that's probably the best way that it can happen in a large organization. If you said it was a top-down thing, managers wouldn't understand it, and they would probably implement the incentives in the wrong ways. Right. This is probably, honestly, the best way it could possibly happen. Uh, it's slower, but it eventually it, it probably implements itself in the right way because it's naturally uptaken. Yeah, yeah and in a sense, you're really kind of saying, if, if I'm hearing you right, that it it's really powerful for it to be almost a community-driven, organic approach yeah. to drive across the organization. Yeah. I agree with that. I Just my personal views being in the midst of some of this at, at Target as well, I, I think the community is so much, so important around DevOps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it even probably ties to our dialogue a little bit at the beginning of this podcast. Um, but it... To me, it's all about the community. It's about empowering people and them working together and them achieving awesome things together and sharing it and people learning from it and people wanting to adapt and change and adapt and just allowing that to, to grow. Um, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Jason, what about your thoughts? Yeah, um, no, I, and I love all of that. And one thing I, I really just wanted to, to really call out was the, um, and, and I guess maybe it's kind of the, the, the converse of, of you know this, the good thing that we're talking about, and that is is putting putting incentives in place to where you have you know your engineers, your architects, your support teams, um, where the only thing the only way that they're or a major factor to that type of review and reward type process is things like you know reduction of incidents or reduction of tickets, and and having that be the one kind of staple or the one thing that's there. And this isn't you know like just a target problem. This is. I've seen this in other organizations where without a key aspect to that type of, you know, go forth and make the, make, make the technology better by, you know, using tickets as a, as a, as a metric without there being the empowerment for that engineer, or for that team to say, here's how we're going to make that number better. And we're going to make sure that we've got data that supports not only that we're improving it for our team, 
but that we're able to, to look at the inputs and outputs. Who, who are our consumers and who are our producers so that we actually can start to um, do better things across, you know, across different silos and, and start to spread it and, and emit just more positivity, um, but become like a beacon of this is, this is a better way to do something. And while we, it's that second part that I, I sometimes don't see when it comes down to the incentive process where it's, you know, thou shalt have, you know, less global incidents by, you know, reduced global in- incidents by 10%. Well, you know, year over year, if you get down to single digit numbers, it really starts to encourage ping- finger pointing. And whatever I can do to make it to where this incident isn't mine, but it's somebody else's, I'm going to do because that's how I'm incented at the end of the year. Turning that around and making it to where you're actually empowering people to work across teams and it not be just about, you know, your group organization is, is a key thing. And it, it, I mean, it ties right back into, you know, what was said. It's just a matter of if, if, if there is that incentive today and it's solely based on um, account of, a, you know, a, a ticket number of tickets or what have you i would strongly encourage people out there to, to to look at how you can unwind from that type of incentive plan because it sounds like it, it almost um encourages more of the blameful culture mm-hmm. yeah yeah i've even um i've even almost felt when like in a large enterprise especially where you have the silos and you've got you know the development teams and you got the support teams and etc and they have their own incentives I've all, all even started to wonder a question like while you're still in that structure where, where you may have those different silos, do you almost want to over incent the one group to try to drive the behavior where they empathize with the other group? And the example I would use is traditionally support teams, just like Jason said, are incented on reduce your incidents, you know, drive that number down. Then, of course, their development partners are often incented to drive more features faster. So there's a speed incentive on one end and a stability incentive on the other. And often little regard for the the constraints and the challenges and the reason that the each other is driving the way that they are. I've almost wondered, like, do you over-incent, like, put more points in a review for the support team to enable speed and agility than you would for their dev partners and then vice versa, like have the dev partners have more points in their review for ensuring they deliver a quality and stable product um, and whether that would almost drive empathy between those groups. You know, it, you know, Russ, with, with that, uh, just kind of jumping in around, you know, some of the CICD principles when we talk about lots of small releases that flow through. So not the big monolith where it's, you know, you have the, the twice a year, the big deployment that takes place, which puts a lot of people on, on, just on, on pins and needles because there's this there's there's that that midsummer release and we don't know exactly how things are going to work but we've got to do it because we've got to get some new feature that's already late out the door incentivizing meantime to recover as as a metric where you actually have a lot of little releases but if you do run into an issue you actually fail forward and fix it fast would actually make it to where you'd have more more of a of a sampling group to have better numbers as a whole to say we need the dev team to actually release release more features in smaller intervals so that we can deal with any kind of issues with what gets released in in a less impactful way as opposed to stop deploying the features because we need we need the stability i mean if you change that incentive you're you're actually would be in a better state to release more frequently smaller batches of changes 
totally agree so while we're kind of on this topic of um of uh hr type issues right uh, reviews and rewards and stuff like that so what have you guys been doing to kind of help draw talent to the organization because um you know you are for better or worse you know target is located in the midwest in minneapolis and while by no means you're a backwoods you're also not silicon valley right where there's this really large talent pool to draw from so what have you guys been doing to kind of help draw draw talent into the organization for target so I mean, I'm kind of selfishly motivated. I want to work with good people. I want to be, you know, I want to throw basically stones in the rock tumbler. They're going to make me, you know, more polished and and better. Um, that ends up like being good for the whole team, right? Our heart rates are lower, stress levels are lower, and we're just generally happier. Makes for a good team. So for us, uh, you know, and we find other teams who have the exact same mindset. It's like, well, let's all work together to see if we can change the large organization to say, like, hey, we need to do a better job of raising you know, targets, uh, a technical brand, right? Showing other people, like, hey, we give back to open source. <clears throat> we blog about our technical challenges and stuff like that. And we've, we've started that, actually. So we have literally two open source projects. There are two chef cookbooks. We have a target tech blog. So it's target.github.io, where we talk about, here's our challenges, here's how we solved it, and here's some cool stuff that we created, here's some things we're sharing with the community. Um, we go to conferences and speak now. That was sort of unheard of, you know, two years ago, uh, talking about what we do. And that sort of, like, makes us less opaque, right? Um, people get now some visibility <laughs> into what retail IT is all about and challenges we face, and it's actually kind of fun. So it's funny, though, because the good people... I am seeing or, you know, now considering us, which is exactly the sort of result we wanted. But this funny thing's happening where they're they're interviewing us now, right? So this is one of the best job markets in the world now. It's We're really living in a special time right now. And really talented individuals kind of start to have a little bit of say about where they want to work. So here's coming full circle to the DevOps thing is, is that becomes one of the questions they sort of ask about. They don't ask about it in a direct way because it would be kind of silly like, hey, are you doing DevOps, yes or no? But they start to ask questions about like, well, what version controller are you using? Or, hey, are you doing you know, continuous integration? Tell me about how you provision a server. They don't want to join an organization where you're manually doing things or where they sort of get the sense that the dev people and the, you know, the ops and infra people don't get along. Um, and so, yeah, they try to get a read on that stuff now. And so it's really important to have those answers, to actually have a solution for that stuff, to be able to tell them like, yeah, you know, uh, it's we're not perfect, but we're we're getting there. And here's some true stories. Here are true stories. I'm not embellishing them about how we've made things better. And if you join my team, you know you're going to be pretty happy. And so are you know people who have good people who have joined my team are are saying that. And then those people, it's funny how that that turns around and makes it even better here because they're saying, wow, okay, yeah, you're right. It's not perfect. And you 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 sold me a true story. Uh, here's what I did in my past company and made it better. I'm going to do that here too. So just sort of like exponentially starts to get better and better and better. But the story here is, it's just interesting how the inverse is happening. They're interviewing Target now. You know, they're interviewing the large large organization to see if they're good, if they want to work there or not. Company's got to be ready for that. Yeah, absolutely. Any other thoughts? Any thoughts you have on that, on J- Jason? Not really. I mean, that was. <laughs> I mean, it's that in a nutshell, right? Um, uh, it's. The more that we put ourselves out there, um, the more that we are going to be able to attract the type of talent that we're really looking for. And it's, um, as Dan said, you know, there's there's certainly, um, you know, 
points in, in, in that story that, that are true around, I mean, all of it being true, but it's a matter of, um, you know, we, when we do the target tech blogs and we, we published open source and we open source things that we're working on, those are real things. It's not like vaporware. It's, these are things, this is like a day in the life. And when people say, what's a day in the life working at target or working in retail, it's no longer that, that misconception, at least specifically for target of, you know, we, engineers and architects are just, you know, more like program managers or, or project managers or just making it to where we're, you know, working through paperwork and bureaucracy. It's no, there's, there's actually code that we're doing, whether it's on the infrastructure side or there's infrastructure on the application development side. It's, it's really a, a massive level up that's, that's taking place. Yeah. It's been a really awesome change journey, especially the last year. So we're coming up to the end of our time here with Jason and Dan. So uh, Jason and Dan, do you guys want to share how listeners might be able to get a hold of you? Uh, and also, if there's an event that you might be at in the upcoming months that somebody might be able to find you and, and meet you at, feel free to share. Yeah, you can reach me at on Twitter at PMOTCH, P-M-O-T-C-H. I usually talk about what conferences I'll be speaking at or attending. So I actually don't have any in the, the pipeline, though, this year yet, which is usually odd. I usually got something going on. So... Uh, I'll be sure to share it there. I heard you're going to be headed over to India, possibly. So if there's any anyone listening in India, uh, feel free to look them up. Yeah, I'll be there um, first week of March. Yeah, in Bangalore, correct? That's right. Yeah, the Garden City. Yeah, it's a it's actually a very temperate, nice climate there. Yeah, yeah. Jason. Yeah. Um, so Jason Walker, it's uh, so at the Desktop Hero on uh, on Twitter. I put in for a presentation for ChefConf, so hopefully that, that flows through. Um, if not, I think I'll definitely be there either way. And it sounds like whenever the, the planning is squared away for DevOps days in Minneapolis um, and maybe Chicago. Awesome. So uh, thanks thanks a lot uh, for both of you giving up um, what is actually a Saturday and some of your time on Saturday to come in and, and do this podcast. Uh, Ross, thank you once again for, for joining as co-host as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Excited to get this one out there. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's, it's been such a painful process. So, Ross, are you going to be anywhere coming up where somebody might be able to meet you? I haven't finalized all of my travel plans. There are a few things I'm talking through maybe being at. One, I might be at a DevOps meetup here in Chicago next month. Definitely looking at ChefConf and Velocity uh, may may be presenting at Velocity. Heather Mickman and I are looking at maybe may uh, uh, doing a, a a new version or a, a, an updated view of, of um, our where we're at with DevOps at Target, kind of feeding off of the presentation we did at, at Enterprise DevOps in the last year. But no, no commitments yet. We're still in planning and uh, getting all the aligning internally on some of this stuff. Uh, I myself will be at Configuration Management Camp. Uh, February 2nd and 3rd in beautiful Ghent, Belgium. And after that, not really sure where I'm going to be going. Uh, travel is probably going to start picking up pretty soon here uh, and might head back over to India and Japan at some point as well. So, Well, thanks again, everyone, for joining. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, for all the listeners out there and, and for those on the phone, remember, be, be the, the go. go. <laughs>